referring to Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, the first six articles. So you might want to keep your book of praise open to that. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, with Lord's Day 1, it is so good to confess our only comfort in life and in death, the comfort of knowing our triune God. The words of Lord's Day 1 are simple, and, and yet they are so profound, aren't they? And these are truths, and this is a comfort that we can carry with us every day of our lives. And we need that so badly, don't we? Because we all face challenges and worries. We all face death eventually. And yet we may confess, I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of comfort. This is the knowledge that supports us and sustains us. This confidence directs us to the throne of grace in Jesus' name to receive God's help in time of need, as the author of Hebrews puts it. At the same time, this confession is a confession that involves some very specific knowledge. We also confess in Lord's Day 1, second question and answer, that there are three things that we need to know, and Lord's Day 2 begins to deal with the first of those three things. In Lord's Day 2, we're confronted with our greatest problem, the problem of sin. It may be not something that we really enjoy talking about, let alone thinking about, because after reading and confessing the comfort of Lord's Day 1, reading Lord's Day 2 almost seems like a bit of a letdown, doesn't it? To confess our sin and misery and the evil inclination of our sinful nature, doesn't that put a damper on the comfort that we confess in Lord's Day 1? Well, congregation, it's very important. In fact, it's absolutely vital that what we confess in Lord's Day 2, we do that through the lens of Lord's Day 1. Lord's Day 2 is also the confession of the believer. True knowledge of your sins and misery does not exist beyond the boundaries of faith in Jesus Christ. I can only begin to understand how great my sin and misery are is when I begin to understand myself belonging to Jesus Christ by faith. I have to know the reason that I belong. I have to know why I belong to him, body and soul, why he died for me. And so we can never separate the knowledge of our sin and misery from the knowledge of belonging to Jesus Christ. And so I proclaim to you the word of God under this theme, we who confess our only comfort can also confess our sin and misery. We'll consider the depth of our sin and misery, how God reveals our sin and misery, and the comfort found in this confession. So we begin with the question, from where do you know your sins and misery? And note that our confession just assumes that we have sin and misery. We are sinful and we are miserable. We don't have to prove that. It's what we confess. But at the same time, it's something that we do need to understand. And the Canons of Dort, in chapter 3, 4, helps us to understand better what sin and misery is. So let's turn to the Canons of Dort. 
the third and fourth heads of doctrine, page 575 in your book of prayers, page 575, and we'll read article one. In the beginning, man was created in the image of God. He was adorned in his mind with true and wholesome knowledge of his creator and of all spiritual things. His will and heart were upright, all his affections pure, and therefore man was completely holy. But rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil and through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts and instead brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind, wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. So here we confess, the church confesses what God intended us to be, how he created mankind, and also what we have become. God created us with a will that was adorned with pure thoughts, minds that could think clearly, could understand God's will for our lives. Man did not have any distorted view of God. His, his will was upright. He could make good decisions. He was capable of perfect obedience. His affections were pure. That means his feelings were, were good. And he craved the right things. He loved in the right way. He cared for what God cares for. But then... Man rebelled against God. He betrayed his Father in heaven. He betrayed his trust. And by a deliberate act of his will, decided to disobey the commandment of life. And so he brought upon himself and the entire world, all the children after him, horrible blindness and darkness. Now we are unable to see what is good. We don't understand God's will. The sinful mind doesn't understand God's will. We don't make good decisions. And the effect of sin on our will turns us away from God. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul describes this as living in the futility of thinking, being darkened in our understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in our sinful hearts. This leaves us with a total loss of sensitivity so that we give ourselves over to sensuality, Paul writes, and indulge ourselves in every kind of impurity and greed. So here we confess then that our hearts are no longer focused on God, but instead on ourselves. We think we we ourselves, we're the beginning and the end of, of our own desires. And now it's, it's sinful things that make us feel good instead of doing the will of God. That becomes a burden. That, congregation, is the depth to which mankind has fallen. So every aspect of human nature has been affected by sin. That's what we call the doctrine of total depravity. Our will, our mind, our heart, our emotions, our affections, our conscience, our bodies, everything about us has been affected by sin. Every aspect of our existence has become depraved and corrupt and perverted 
degenerate. And the ruler, that rich young ruler who met Jesus in Luke 18 is is a good illustration of this. He thought he was doing good. He was convinced that he kept all of God's law. He probably did too, better than anyone. And yet when Jesus asked him to do one more thing, Jesus exposed something in this young man's heart. He loved his house and his boat and his wealth more than anything else. And none of us, none of us by nature are exempt from this selfishness. In Article Article 2 of Chapter 3, 4, Tannins of Dort, we read how this corruption spreads. Since after the fall, man became corrupt, he, as a corrupt father, brought forth corrupt children. Thus the corruption has spread from Adam to all his descendants, with the exception of Christ alone, not by imitation, as the Pelagians of old maintained, but by the propagation of a perverted nature, according to the righteous judgment of God. So here we confess the universal problem of sin. It affects everyone, every man, woman, child, every boy and every girl. It's not a learned, sin is not a learned habit. It's a hereditary disease passed on from one generation to the next. Think of what David writes in Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And what David said of himself is true of every single one of us. We do not become sinful. We are sinful. We sin because we are sinners. And in turn, we produce sinful children. There was only one man who was not affected by the corrupting power of sin, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest who truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Hebrews 7 Verse 26. And yet through him God reached down into our misery, into our sin and misery. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary in in a unique way, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he is the only exception to our depravity, to the depravity of humanity. A depravity that would consign us all to hell if it was not for this man. The intervention of of God through Jesus Christ. And how do we know this? Congregation, only because through God's grace, he reveals this truth to us. God reveals our sin and misery to us. And he does that through his law. Through the law, God exposes our problem. And of course, again, we have to keep in mind that this is only true of True believers, of those who have already confessed their only comfort in Lord's Day 1. And we'll come back to that again in a moment. And now, of course, all of God's law is summarized by the command to love God and the neighbor. But think about that. What, What really is the law? How would you define the law? When a Jewish lawyer asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer gave him a summary. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. And Jesus told him, do this and you will live. 
Luke 10, verse 25. Do this and you will live. What did Jesus mean by that? He meant that the law is life. Because if you live like this, you will have life, true life. This is your life. This is truly living. Living the way life was meant to be. And that's why then, in that same chapter, Jesus went on to give the example of the Good Samaritan. That is true living. It is keeping the law of love. So it's not enough to know the Ten Commandments. It's not enough or to, or to think of the Ten Commandments as a, as a list of rules. Living according to a set of rules is not true life. That's why God reveals more than the Ten Commandments in, his, in Scripture. And already in the Old Testament, God told his people that the essence of the law is love. Love for God and love for the neighbor. We have summaries of that, for example, in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 10. But even this knowledge, congregation, could not save the people of Israel. The Lord Jesus would have to come as God had promised he would. And he came to reveal, when Jesus came, he came to reveal the essence of the law. And he did that in word and deed. His life reveals the essence of the law because he loved his Father in heaven the way no man has ever done. And he loved his neighbor as no man has ever done. But he also explains what it means to fulfill the law, to live life by the law. And we use his words in our confession in Lord's Day too. And so this summary congregation really penetrates the depths of God's law. It shows us that that life according to the law is a life lived in love. True life exists only where there is love. Where there is no love, there is death. The secret to life then is love, the love of God. And the Apostle Paul also writes on several occasions that love is the fulfillment of the law. And so we can say that the law, which is the law of life, is also the law of love. And therefore, even if you would keep the commandments perfectly, but you were not motivated by love, you would still be a thief and a murderer. You see, obedience to the law is not enough. Knowing what to do is not enough. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. So you see that scripture then teaches us that without love, we cannot truly live. To have true life, one must have love for God and the neighbor. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach this rich young ruler. This man who became so sad when he was told that he had to sell his goods and give his money to the poor. He was living according to the law. But his heart wasn't in it. You see, unless we're moved by God's grace to see the depths of our sin in the mirror of God's law, we cannot see it at all. We cannot find the answer to our own problem. 
We are unable to do that. And we confess that in Article 3. Canons of Dort, Chapter 3, 4, Article 3. Therefore all men are conceived in sin and are born as children of wrath, incapable of any saving good, inclined to evil, dead in sins, and slaves of sin. And without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, they neither will nor can return to God, reform their depraved nature, or prepare themselves for its reformation. You see, without the grace of the regenerating Holy Spirit, we cannot, we cannot come to God. We cannot shake off our depravity, even if we live according to the law. If we do that without the knowledge of God, it still doesn't help. Look at Article 4, the next article. To be sure there is left in man after the fall some light of nature, whereby he retains some notions about God, about natural things, and about the difference between what is honorable and shameful. He shows some regard for virtue and outward order. But so far as is he from arriving at the saving knowledge of God and true conversion through the light of this this light of nature, that he does not even use it properly, even in natural and civil matters. Rather, whatever this light may be, man wholly pollutes it in various ways and suppresses it by his wickedness. In doing so, he renders himself without excuse before God, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. You see, congregation, it is only through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are brought back to God. By his regenerating power, we are renewed and reformed. And by God's grace, then, the mirror of the law becomes the mirror that points that out to us and points out our problem, but also points us to Christ. Because without grace, the law cannot save us. The law becomes our condemnation. Article 5, the next article. What holds for the light of nature also applies to the Ten Commandments given by God through Moses, particularly to the Jews. For though it reveals the greatness of sin and more and more convicts man of his guilt, yet it neither points out a remedy nor gives him power to rise out of his misery. Rather, weakened by the flesh, it leaves the transgressor under the curse. Man cannot, therefore, through the law, obtain saving grace. It is not possible for us to produce enough obedience to become worthy before God. In fact, we confess elsewhere in the Catechism, we daily increase our debt. Even our best works are defiled with sin. And the law of God only reveals the greatness of our sin. Well then, what's the answer to our problem? How do we find comfort in Lord's Day 2? Well, again, we refer to the canons of Dort. Let's read one more article. Article 6. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law can do, God performs by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word or ministry of reconciliation, which is the gospel of the Messiah, by which it has pleased God to save men who believe both under the old and under the new 
dispensation, the Old and New Testament. So there is a solution. One solution, and that is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God can deliver us on the basis of his sacrifice and through the power of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the benefits of Christ and applies them to us by faith. That, brothers and sisters, is your only hope. He creates faith in your heart so that through the law you recognize your sin and your need for Christ. And he, and he gives you faith to believe in the Savior who fulfilled the law. And through him the problem of your sin and guilt is removed. Your sin is covered. The wrath of God against you is taken away. And the Holy Spirit also changes you, changes your inclinations and your affections and your will. While once you were inclined towards hatred of God and the neighbor, the Holy Spirit changes that inclination so that you begin to love God, that you are disposed to love God and the neighbor. And the Holy Spirit changes your mind and your will and your heart and and changes how you think, changes the way you make decisions, changes what you think is important in life. So that you no longer have pleasure in sin. It will change you so that you begin to crave what is right. And care for what God cares for. We confess elsewhere in the catechism that because of this. We all not only begin to live according to some. But according to all of God's commandments. That is God's work in your life. Brothers and sisters, do you see evidence of that in your life? And if you do, praise the Lord and thank Him for that. And do you see evidence in your life of of your desire to get rid of more sin? As as the form for Lord's Supper also puts it, that we we hate, hate it, that we have sin still in our lives. Do you see evidence of that in your life? And if you do not, then ask for God's grace to repent. When we see the heights from which we have fallen and how sin pervades every aspect of life, congregation, then we begin to grasp a little of what Christ has done for us. When we look to the cross... Then, then perhaps we begin to see a little of, of what misery truly is. There we see the effect of God's curse and wrath as it was poured out on his son. How he was, he was banished from the presence of his father. How he died in a cursed death on an accursed cross. That's the effect of sin and misery. And even though Christ fulfilled the law of life and the law of love, in complete devotion to his heavenly Father, in complete devotion to those for whom he died, he became sin. And he became misery for us. And he did this for me, for my lack of love, for my lack of obedience, for my impurity, my rebellion. He accepted the curse of the law so that that I might truly have life. And truly live in love for God and the neighbor. 
And that's why Paul can write in Romans 7 that we have died to the law through the body of Christ so that we might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. In congregation, that then is how we may enjoy and experience the only comfort of belonging to our faithful Savior. In spite of the fact that there are two natures competing in us, against each other, and in spite of our lack of love, in spite of our daily sins, we may stand before God in the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's thank God for the law. By God's grace, his law brings you to an understanding of your problem. And by God's grace, the awareness of your problem makes you seek his grace in Christ. But then let's continue to also ask him for his grace. Ask him to continue to work in us with his Holy Spirit so that we might continue to be sanctified, that we might continue to run with endurance the race marked out for us. Amen.